All right, switch over to my screen if you will. Hey, welcome to have you here. We are almost done with Philippians. We're coming into the home stretch. Um, hopefully you have been uh, impacted by this book. And hopefully it has been something that has pushed you a little bit. Uh, it has definitely pushed me, and today will be of no uh, exception. If you have the YouVersion app, if you don't, you should have it. It's a great Bible app, tons of translations, great devotionals in there. I get to see a few of you guys who I'm friends with in the app and see what God is doing, and you inspire me. But uh, one of the things you're able to do is at the bottom of the app, there's a place called events. You go there, you find Cedars Church, click on that. All the verses for today are already preloaded for you. There's a place for you to take notes. And if there's something that's powerful, you can even share that out with a friend. So it's a great app. Um, if you're used to the Bible uh, one, I just encourage you, flip fast. It's going to be fun today, okay? All right, here we go. We are doing this whole section, and today we are going to get to the heart of this reason of why this is called joy, and why joy is the underpinning of this book of Philippians. Again, this book written to a Roman colony in the area of Macedonia, uh, this, this group of people who had loved Paul, sent one of their very own to love on him. They sent an offering to take care of his financial needs while he is in prison, and yet he knows there's an issue. He knows there's two main issues. There's an outside oppression that's coming against them. We talked about that in, ch in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we realize there is disunity that is happening within their midst. And we're going to break that today. We're, we're going to unpack that today and be looking at that. Um, I have two ladies' names I'm going to say. I'm going to say them absolutely wrong today. Please understand God's already forgiven me, so let's move forward. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 is all we're covering today. Therefore, we finished last week. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Again, he calls them his joy. And I will tell you guys that there is something what you do when you see someone who, by the way, you've been a part of them coming to Christ. They are your joy. They are your passion. You look at them and you go, God, thank you so much that you even allow me to be a part, a part of their journey. And so he goes, look, you're my joy and my crown. When I think, Paul, he's saying, this is Paul, when I think about my ministry, I think of you, that God allowed me to play this role in your life. Verse two, I entreat you, you oh, here we go. I entreat you, Thank you, and entreat you. Yeah, good luck on that one. So I call her Cynthia, right, uh, to agree in the Lord. Uh, folks, listen, just be thinking about your kids when you name them, all right? Just be thinking about someday someone's got to use their name. All right, here we go. So basically, I'll get, I'm not skipping over them. We're going to talk about these two ladies. I, I will tell you that we find out that most likely the disunity that we're going to talk about is connected to these two ladies. So let's go back and find out what Paul said in this context. This is Philippians 2, 1 and 2. It says, so there, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. There is something that has separated them, and many theologians believe it is connected to Cynthia and the other ones. So in that, it's interesting that Paul now is going to get really personal. 
He's done generalities. He's talked about the fact there needs to be unity. But now he is talking about this. And look what it says. I entreat. Let me say with this. He goes, I plead with you, Iodia, whatever that one is. And I entreat, and I entreat, or I plead with you. Notice that he uses the phrase twice. So in this one sentence, he goes, I am pleading with you, and I am pleading with you. He is making it clear. He's not choosing one over the other. He is pleading, right, with each one of them. And he's saying this, to agree in the Lord. Now, that does not mean, that does not mean that he is agreeing with either one of their stances. Whatever the issue is, he's not agreeing with either one of their stances. He's asking them to agree in the Lord. Meaning, the purposes of God need to override whatever is causing that which is separating them. Does that make sense? He is causing something greater and saying there is something that is between you, but I am asking for you to agree in the Lord. I'm asking you to agree to something higher. I'm asking for you to look at the situation and say, I know that we're separated, but what brings us together? And that's God. So with that, we read this, verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, we don't know who this person is. We don't. Someone could have been there that as soon as that word true companion, they went, it's me. And some believe it could be, look, hey, I'm talking to you as a church as a whole. But either way, it says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, this is one thing that we learn. If what has separated them was a sin issue, I believe with all my heart, Paul doesn't have a problem calling out sin in people. Does that make sense? So if one of them was doing something sinful in what has separated them, he would have said, hey, Cynthia, you're wrong on this. He would have called it out. I don't think it's that kind of an issue. I don't think it's a sin issue. The sin is that they're not unified. The issue is that they've let something that probably has nothing of of context of, of sin, but it has divided them, and his concern is the lack of unity. Because he's saying, look, their names are written in the book of life. He just calls it out. And they were fellow workers. They worked together, but something got between them. Folks, there's something about us as human beings. We take sides. It's the rare person that has the wisdom and the judgment to not take sides. I've done many, many, many hours of marriage counseling with couples. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, let's say that a husband comes to me first and he's the first person that tells me the issues. It's very easy to go, oh, you're right, she's wrong. You've been there. The first person that gets to you, you kind of side with the first person. But what always happens is the wife comes in and I realize, oh, I didn't get the whole story. Oh, that changes things. And we've been that way 
And by the way, churches have split over issues that when you find out, when you really boil them down, you're going, really, this is what the church split was over? And they become ridiculous. Had a friend of mine that said the longest church name he ever saw, and this is what he said, was over 20 names long, which means they had split so many times. It's like the first Baptist Unitarian, like just kept going on. How many times did they had split to have had 20 names in, on their sign? What are the things that cause us to have this? And so Paul's fighting this. And he's going to fight it with something pretty powerful. But he's saying, look, help these women. Help them find out what the issue is. Get them into the room. Get them talking. Get them working this out. Because what this is, is that it's causing disunity and it's not good. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Now, by the way, this passage is always pulled out of the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, remember, he's already asked them, right? Always asked them. He, he, he literally says, I beg of you, right? Or I, whatever. He's saying, look, to agree in the Lord. This says rejoice in the Lord. Now, let me tell you why I think this is here. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. When my joy is in the things of him then the things of this earth that I can make into a much bigger deal start to pale in comparison. The fights that I have, listen to me, over things that are going to burn, over things that are not going to make it to the next life, when you start to realize what he is about, that all of a sudden what we thought was so important looks like something insignificant. So he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Let your joy be in what he's about. And then there's a question that comes with that. Would God care about this? Now, there's things definitely God cares about. And there are things that we should, by the way, as Christians stand on. But when we come to issues that separate us, what's the thing that causes the issue? What's the thing that has caused people to divide? What's the thing that has caused people to get behind one person or the other? And at the end of it, does it glorify Christ? So, this is about getting our eyes off ourself and our eyes back on Him. Whenever I've had a dispute with somebody, chances are it's because I'm looking at myself and how I've been hurt or what's been happened to me or what my thing should happen or what I think should happen. We should go my way. But when I think about him and I rejoice in him that he has set me free and that, by the way, that all of this is going to burn, it raises my eyes up and goes, you know what? I'm not fighting for this. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It is a completely different perspective when you start going, wait a minute, do I really care about this? Is this the hill I'm going to die on? Is this the fight I really want to have? Because this isn't going to matter. Folks, I want you to think back.
to things that you were so passionate about in your teens and your 20s. And you look back and you kind of go, why did I fight so hard for that? Why was that so important? As you get wisdom, as you get perspective, as you get a sense, you start to realize, wait a minute, I was really holding on to something that did not matter. Now, there's things that probably did matter in your teens and your 20s, and maybe it was very important that you fought for those. But so much when I talk to people, they would go, man, I can't believe I died on that hill. It was not the hill to die on. And again, how do we put our eyes up to go, is this the hill to die on? Verse 5, here we go. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, the, the word reasonableness, to be reasonable, right? That you are a person that can handle things with reason. That you're not doing it just out of passion or doing it out of feelings, but you're being reasonable is important. But it was interesting it was the, the word that is here is such a hard word to, to really to define in the Greek. And two theologians that I got to look at gave a perspective of this word reasonable that I liked. And we're going to use what I call, my, my, my grand used to call a $2 word. You guys remember what $2 words are? Like a big word that you don't use very often, but we should. Here we go. Reasonableness, I want you to see it this way. Reasonableness should be kind of equally to the idea of magnanimity. I cannot say this word. Magnanimous. You guys know what magnanimous is? Magnanimity. Magnanimous. Magnanimous has this idea that, again, you are above, so you're willing to be below. Does that make sense? We would call this being the bigger man. Does that make sense? If I use that ideology? That you are to be someone who's magnanimous. Meaning, you can be completely right, completely justified, completely appropriate, but you come into situations and because of you know that God has you in the right place, you don't need to fight for it. Therefore, you can then step aside and let someone else have their way. And all of a sudden, you're in this place of not trying to fight, you're not trying to, it's again, it's a reasonable concept of saying, I just want to have a place. And again, when you meet people who are just like, look, this doesn't, I, I, I know where I stand, I'm good, but I'll step aside for you. I'll let you have that. Okay, if you want to see it that way. To be magnanimous is an important concept. So let's unpack that. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do work, uh, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. It's pretty powerful. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. See, it's this idea of just coming in going, I don't need to be the one dominant to come in and squash people and put them down and your idea is a bad idea. No, it's just coming in and just going, okay. And letting us not fight a fight that we shouldn't be fighting. Now, I'm about to take it to a next level here. And I want you to understand something. 
What I'm about to tell you is, listen, the Bible talks about there's milk and there's meat. Right? Babies eat milk, adults eat meat. What I'm about to tell you, this is T-bone meat. And folks, this is tough. So let's unpack it. 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 12. But brother goes to law against brother. There's something that separates them. Well, we have two women. There's something separating them. But in this context, they're taking it to court. Right? Taking it to court. Me and Steve, we have an issue. I don't know, his tree is over my tree line, and I cut his tree. I don't know what the deal is. I parked on his lawn. And we get into a fight, but we're believers. I'm taking him to court. Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already, listen, defeat for you. The fact that two brothers would go that direction is already defeats you. Now watch, the. this is the meat, here it comes. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Let me explain to you what's happening here. See, in America, we don't like this. I'm supposed to be right. And I got the law on my side, and I'm taking you, and I'm taking you down, and everyone will know that I'm right. But the problem is this. Two brothers who are, by the way, supposed to love each other just took the name of Christ and drug it through the mud. Because if we can't get along as brothers in Christ, what's the point? Because whatever the issue is, listen to me, is not worth making the name of Jesus look bad. Period. Period. He says this, why not rather suffer wrong? Because I have to be right. Why not rather be defrauded? Because that can't happen to me. And there's a deeper level of I will not let the name of Christ be drug in the mud when it comes to my brother or sister in Christ. I will not. And if I lose, I will lose for his sake. This is where Paul's trying to get to when he gets to this idea of your reasonableness. There's nothing that's going to happen to you on this earth that is worth you being right here, but wrong up there. There's nothing worth going, I won the victory in court. Woo! I'll give you a story. I got two guys I respect greatly. Two guys. I respect greatly, and they're the guys who started the church, triplexchurch.com. What they're doing is they're going into the porn industry, and they are literally saving men and women out of the porn industry by just loving them. But they did something that to this day I believe was wrong. They had Bibles that were going to be printed with the covers that says, Jesus loves porn stars. So they went to a Bible company, and the Bible company just didn't feel like they were comfortable putting that on the Bible. Now listen, here's my issue. 
They then came out on social media and slapped down that Bible company. Wrong. If the Bible company that they wanted to have those printed on said no, their answer should have been fine. And they could have found somebody else. But they came out on social media and made fun of and mocked this Bible company that's stuck in the, in the Stone Age. Let me tell you, if I saw them face to face, I would say to them, wrong. You do not go to people who have been, by the way, printing the word of God for years and tear them down. Because guess what? It wasn't the Bible company that got in trouble or looked bad. It was Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Folks, I want you to understand that this passage is that Paul's trying to say, how do we always make the name of Christ and the purpose of Christ and the goal of Christ paramount? And if I lose making sure that happens, so be it. So be it. But if I have issues with one of you, get in the room. Work it out. Come to the table. Say what needs to be said. Get someone to come with you. Get a helper. It's in Scripture. Get someone to walk through these issues. Because when we don't, guess who hurts? The name of Christ. The name of Christ hurts. And that's what we're talking about here. So here we have, in verse 8, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers jump down to verse 11 for time as such were some of you but when you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god verse 12 all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but not but i will not be dominated by anything you can stand on that it's lawful you can stand on that, but it's not helpful. And one of the things we have to do is sit down and go, what am I fighting for? What am I trying to accomplish? I want to be right. And in me being right, in the eyes of God, I am wrong. Do not let your rightness make you wrong when it comes. And I do believe these two women not able to get together with the situation is wrong it is causing disunity in the church and paul is writing to it listen i would love to have my name in the bible but not for this reason does that make sense these two women who by the way worked for the kingdom their names are in the bible over this issue may we not be true for us today verse six do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, a passage that is used over and over again, and it is great. I believe it is used rightly when people use it. Do not be anxious about anything. When I am anxious over an issue, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, with, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. I am able to go to God and go, God, this is my issue. And by the way, I want to be thankful for you that you are in the midst of this, and I am coming to you. And yes, we should bring things to prayer. We should bring things into this way. 
But in this context, saying, look, what is your fight? This should not be this. It should be about you coming to God in prayer, in supplication, in these places. You should let your requests be known to God. God can handle it if we'll let him have it. One of the biggest things we do, guys, is we pray to God the whole time, holding on to it, never letting him take it. Yeah, God, you can have it. God goes, really? So, this is just a fun story. I had a friend named Jason. He goes, hey, my dad has got to uh, um, kind of get qualified for his pilot's license, and so would you want to go? A little Cessna prop plane. Sure. He goes, yeah, we're going to fly over here, do a couple stalls, do a couple things. That sounds fun. <laughs> On the ground. <laughs> we're going to land over this airport. We're going to grab... Uh, some food, and then we're going to fly back. Sounds great. So we go up, and they cut the engine, and it stalls, and you're just like, dear God, let it start, dear God, let it start, right? <laughs> it starts. <laughs> Did that a couple times. He's got good maneuvers, and the uh, instructor's doing it. The problem with this plane, the problem with this plane, there were two steering wheels. One for him, and one for him. And we came to land, and they had both been taught two different styles of landing. So as we're landing, as we get close, we watch the instructor within, we're like, we're within like four feet of the ground, reach up and grab the wheel. Because he didn't like the way that my friend's dad was landing. We now have two men fighting over that wheel. I saw Jesus fairly sure and the song wasn't out yet so i don't want to go this but literally in my heart i was saying jesus take the wheel that's truly what i was wanting <laughs> we bounced we skidded we spit finally the instructor let go realizing that the two of them were not going to land this plane if they were both holding the wheel does that make sense now we landed two men had a very strong conversation sat in the back, thanking Jesus we were on the ground, and we still had to go back to the other airport. <laughs> Folks, I'm just going to tell you this right now. There's only one wheel in your life. There's only one wheel. And either you let them have it or you don't. But if you try to do the two-wheel system, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. You gotta let him have that spot. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse seven, and, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This is just rich. This passage is just rich of these passages that you should memorize. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. When you give it to him, all of a sudden, he can just give you peace when you know that he has it. I'm telling you, if you're anything like me, you still think you have a better idea. And he's trying to say to the situation, look, let God have it. Be willing to lose. Because God will take care of it. God has better plans than you can imagine. And listen, let him guard your heart. There's something when you just let it go. And if it doesn't go the way you thought it was supposed to go, okay, God has it. He can still use it. And there's peace that can come. 
I have had choices made by other people where I go, wasn't my choice, wasn't my call, wasn't what I'm supposed to do. But God, if this is what you have and this is the way you want to go, let it be. And I'm not the ones there going, I told you so. No, what did God have to do? Maybe something, there was something supposed to grow in me. Maybe there was something supposed to grow in them. But when I let it go and just say, God, you got this, so much more happens than, that I can't even imagine. Finally, brothers, this is, again, folks, if, if you want a memory verse section, the first nine verses of chapter four have some powerful things in it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there, if there is any, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, how many people are really good at stewing on things, if I use that phraseology? Just stew and stew, stew, stew. How much joy has that brought you? But boy, we're good at it. Just sitting in, it's like sitting in a hot tub. Woo! But it's not a hot tub of fun. Let me tell you this to you. If you don't put other things in your mind, you will then go back to what you're going to stew on. This is where this context is. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything in ex any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Folks, you need to replace what you're stewing on with things that are holy. It will change your perspective. Because if you don't get your eyes up, you will continually look at where things are. And if you look at where things are, then you're going, oh God, you're not doing anything. No, God's doing something. But you've got to go, God, I trust you. And all of a sudden you start to think of things that are, again, pure and holy. And, and, and in doing so powerful, things happen in our lives. This is a battle, by the way. This is a battle. When you start to stew on it, like, no, nope, God, nope. Whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever is praiseworthy. I'm going to think about these things. I am not going to sit in this. And it will change your perspective. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is verse 9. Look what he says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Listen, Paul is not a doormat. We found that out we, even in, the, in this book of Philippians. He went to the people and said, hey, you, you treated me wrong. I'm a Roman citizen. You shouldn't have done this. Paul's not a doormat, but watch this. But he did not fight for the things of this world. He already says, the things of this world, he already says, in this book, I counted them as rubbish. He's not standing up for his birthright. He's not standing up for that he's born uh, from the, the tribe of Benjamin. He's not standing up for the fact of all these things. That's not what he's doing. Listen, he says, look, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So let me show you what we're talking about. Back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, we read this. The former proclaimed Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Look, this is his response. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. This is Paul. Hey, they're doing something trying to hurt me? Great. But are they preaching, preaching Jesus? 
awesome. He's not fighting to be right. He's not fighting for them to be put down. He's going, look, I, I understand what their goal is. Their goal is they think they're hurting me. I don't care. They're preaching Christ. And if they're preaching Christ, then he's glorified and it's above him. And by the way, what does he say? Yes, rejoice and I will rejoice. Let's go back to Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice and in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. This is what he's saying to you and I. When you don't get your way, if God is still glorified, and if you are not going to then drag the name of Jesus into the mud, whatever happens, listen to me, rejoice. We say it again, rejoice. Because our goal is not for me to be right on this earth. My goal is not for me to get my way in these circumstances. My goal is to rejoice in him and make sure that his name is lifted up. And if I'm going to suffer shame or if I'm going to suffer discouragement, let it be for his name's sake. And he's saying to these two women, get it together. Put it aside. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Because what he is doing is greater than whatever is again, whatever separated. Get in the room, talk it out, work it through. Because at the end of the day, what we have fought for in this earth that we think is so important, when we see it in the context of heaven, we're going to go, why did I die on that hill? Why? Did I die on that hill? And I'm just asking us today to think that through. So with that, with that, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, may we be your children who don't fight to be right, but Father, fight for your name to be lifted on high. Father, we don't fight to get on one side or the other, but we fight for unity. Father, let us be your children who say, I would rather be defrauded. I would rather lose. I would rather not quarrel than to have you in any way be made to look bad for the kingdom. Father, let us be a people that want unity above all because unity is a beautiful, beautiful attraction to the world that is so, so divided. Let us be that place where people find, find, find unity. And Father, forgive us when we fight for stupid things that don't matter. When they do matter, let us fight for you because it's important. But Father, let us not in any way embarrass the name of Christ. And again, Father, if my hurt means glory for you, or if my shame means glory for you, or if I lose, it means glory for you, let me sit with that and then begin to dwell on what is good and what is right and what is pure and what is holy. And let me not be anxious, for Father, you have me for eternity. You have me for eternity, and I won't care then. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.